Hi everyone and warm welcome to this episode number 33 of Sustainability Explored, a podcast where we talk about different angles and shapes of sustainability in business and economy. Uh, every week, just to remind everyone who is new to this um, to this format, to this platform, to this channel, every week I invite one professional in the field of sustainability across any industry to share his or her views on the present and future of the world through the prism of sustainable development, of course. This is why the podcast is called Sustainability Explored. This week, I want to shed some light on sustainable finance. And for this, I invited Lorena Munoz del Campo, a senior advisor on green economy and sustainable finance. She advises governments and corporations on how to create and establish strategies and plans that create economic value from the environmental variable. Lorena calculates associated financial risk from environmental impacts to investment loans and evaluate environmental she evaluates environmental strategies and scenarios for national and international companies and organizations. And me, my name is Anna and I am the podcast host of this show. I can't wait to get this interview started. Lorena is in Chile, I'm in Ukraine. She is my first guest from Latin America region. Join our discussion to learn how environment and finance dance together, where it is smart to invest these days. Tune in to get Latin American perspective on sustainability and environmentalism. And Lorena will share some facts and personal experience stories that will blow your mind, I promise. So let's get it started. Hi everyone and hi Lorena. Today my guest is Lorena Munoz del Campo and we are talking about sustainable finance. Having some experience in the banking sector myself, I have accumulated a lot of questions and I luckily found Lorena who is happy to answer them today for me. So the topic is sustainable finance and in particular we will touch a lot of financial institutions questions, issues, behavior in regards uh, with sustainability. So Lorena, the stage goes to you. Please introduce <laughs> yourself for the listeners a bit more and tell us what we're busy with today. I hope I can answer your question or at least a little chat about it and yeah. share our frustrations. <laughs> okay, I start in environmental engineering. I'm, I'm biochemist in 1992. And it was very frustrating. So I realized after a couple of years that I won't be able to do much if I couldn't speak the language of the decision makers. And that language was finance. So I moved from science, straight science, to administration to management. At first I did a management diploma and I realized I was good on that. And in between all the topics, I like finance more. So I did my master's degree in finance. I started working in what was in those times, environmental liabilities evaluation. There was no topic, no jobs on sustainable finance. Sustainable finance didn't exist. I started working in environmental liability evaluation in due diligence normally due diligence for fusion and acquisitions at first like introducing the value of the environment in the asset that was trade and then also evaluating assets and correcting through the environmental like the environmental liabilities how they affect the value of the asset of the company when you do the transaction and then for loans i start with medium-sized loan and then big loans. Mm -hmm. The point is that environment itself is back then, 20 something years ago, was not really important for no nobody. Birds and trees couldn't pay the supermarket. That was the sentence of my father when I told him I would go to through environmental and he told me that, you know, he, he felt like he wasted all that money educating me <laughs> it was kind of 
frustrating. When I went through finance, it was okay because he is a finance guy too. I moved from this environmental liability evaluation for due diligence to the carbon markets at the beginning of the 2000s, mainly in energy and waste management. And then I realized I could structure funding for those projects, not just selling the carbon credits, but using those assets as collaterals and so on. So I was able to reduce finance risks through that area. And I started moving from this just technical and finance evaluation to really structuring finance interesting stuff. And I've been doing that for the last 12, 15 years, maybe. So I moved from small, medium-sized projects to big loans. I structured like that the electricity grid for Ecuador. Ecuador is a Latin American country. It was a $4.3 billion project. And the collateral I used was the 2.5 million tons of CO2 they will be reducing through changing the electricity grid from fossil to renewable. They were 85% fossil and they were moving to 80% renewable. And I could reduce the rate for the loan. It was a $4.5 billion loan to 50 years from 9.8% to 5.25%, restructuring mm-hmm. all the debt and including the, this collateral. Mm-hmm. That was the, a governmental uh, agency? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The project was funded by the AIDB Bank, the Inter-American Development Bank, mm-hmm. and the consultancy, and the client was the Ecuadorian government, specifically the Ministry of Energy and the Ministry of Finance. At the end, all the money enters for infrastructure, they did the electricity grid, and the investment loans implicate an increasing of the GDP. When this loan finally went through, it was a huge impact on the country. And I really, this was between this job I did in 10 years ago. I realized you could do things and demonstrate, really, <laughs> that evaluating the socio-environmental risk is good for the business, finally. You can create economical value during that. Mm-hmm. And finally, it's that argument that goes okay. So I translate normally all my evaluations in money. I monetize that. How, how exactly did you do that? How do you exactly translate the environmental and social issues, the findings that uh, you came up with during your due diligence, into the financial risk? How do you exactly put a price on that? Well. It's part of my PhD. <laughs> Normally, since I come from science, for me, it's easier to understand all those variables. I understand that people that come from straight from business, management, finance, or that area, is more difficult because normally scientists don't like to talk about money. They just talk about scientific findings that you cannot really translate into something real in the real world. Mm -hmm. So what I do is to take those findings and I try to translate environment in hectares of natural resources used. The the, the ecological footprint Mm -hmm. that could be something like if you have a a finance statement would be part of the running cost because it's running the facility. We need some environment issues to run it like, I don't know, water, air, soil, natural resources. All of that can be translated in ecological footprint. Ecological footprint can be translated in tons of CO2. And then if you have the tons of CO2, you don't use the spot price. Mm-hmm. You can go through Nordhaus. Richard Nordhaus, the Nobel Prize, he calculate the social cost of the carbon. So each country normally has more or less a social cost for it. Mm -hmm. So you can see the impact of this project in terms of tons of CO2 and 
hectares of natural resources because every impact of that facility will be translated in positive and negative in assets and liabilities in terms of environment. And then it's not anymore trees or birds or whatever, it's money right now. Mm -hmm. And it's either a debt or an asset. And then you go through, if it's a running facility, it's one that is in operation, you can go and see the normal evaluation of environmental liabilities on that is easy. You can easily translate it in money in the long-term liabilities. Then you have the structure. Then you can restructure that environmental debt. Mm -hmm. You can do whatever you want with it. That's in the monetization. In the risk part, since 1991, there is uh, the World Bank Association has the Ecuadorian principles mm -hmm. that can be translated in like eight points. And each point is, I, I, I think you, you may be going through those evaluations. You have projects A, B, C, and then B that's spread in two. And then you can translate everything in projects A, B, C. Value of risk, highest the value of risk. And then you have the risk uh, beta for environment, and you can include it in the rate of the loan. Yeah. How about the social risk? Well, in my country, we have a lot of mining. We are a copper exporter, the bigger copper exporter of the world. So we have a lot of social issues relating to mining exploitation. I don't know if you're aware, but among the 22 mining, transnational mining companies in Latin America, 20 of them has actually processed lawsuits against them because due to uh, human rights violation. We have the higher rate of murders of mm -hmm. activists, <laughs> environmental activists, normally indigenous people. So we have a lot of issues, social issues in Latin America, and a lot of inequality. My country is the one that has the highest inequality rate in the OCD. We are OCD actually. Mm -hmm. Well, so before going through a country, I review the Human Development Index of the country, corrected by inequality, and I can go through the population that is in the, depending on which kind of evaluation I'm doing, that's in the, the influential area of the project where the product will be installed, mm -hmm. and then one can calculate how this human development index will be impact in positive or negative again mm -hmm. with this project then you can calculate at the end if this population will receive an improvement on their human development index than their quality of life or if that quality of life will be reduced mm -hmm. and if it will be reduced how much it will be and all of that is GDP invest in population. So again, you arrive to money. So again, you will have social asset and social liabilities that can be restructured. And liabilities always can be restructured. Mm -hmm. And if you can restructure it in the best case scenario, at the end has an output of maybe creating environmental assets, and or uh, social assets at the end. So for instance, in Mexico, they had like the extend responsibility of the importer and producer. That law is called the waste law. So I helped the country in developing a norm for plastic recycling. And that norm, if it was implemented, government was aware of the fact that a lot of people that is producing plastic and using plastic, <laughs> a lot of that will be against this norm. It's a federative not the country, so it's, it was a norm for the country, each state. So what I calculate was that if we start to recycle those plastics, you will have an industry that will decrease, which is the plastic producers that won't like that norm. And then you will have another industry that will rise, which is the recyclers. Recycling is positive in terms of producing reductions on CO2. If you analyze 
the whole life cycles. So that's what I did, analyzing the whole life cycles. Mexico is in the border, the northern border of the United States. Even Mr. Trump says that Mexicans are being exported to the United States. Normally, the United States export to Mexico waste. Mm-hmm. Through the line, it says uh, raw material for recycling. For a country that cannot recycle, they don't have recycling capabilities. Yeah. Back then, and when I started that project, recycling capabilities of Mexico were 5%. So it was kind of a huge impact on border population. So when I translate everything, at the end, the impact, the global impact of introducing the norm for recycling the plastic was like almost two billion dollars of GDP plus increasing of the GDP of the country, 1.5 million of direct employment, mm-hmm. also plastic in the border, border of the, with the United States agricultural areas. But the plastic was given to poor families and they use it to warm themselves, so they burn it inside the households wow. so there was a huge social impact of that activity yeah, that's and awesome. by transforming those families from just pure agricultural activity to agriculture plus recycling because they could receive that plastic and then pack it after that take the plastic to the recycling facility or to a point where the truck could take this plastic. So you will increase the income from that family because they were paid for doing this task, taking the plastic and letting the plastic to be recycled instead of burning. Mm-hmm. So at the end, there was an increasing of the human development index of those population by increasing the income per family, but also reducing the health hazard that implicate to have those plastic burn inside the household. So, and that is another GDP that is reduced. They don't need to go and put money on that. They could take that money and put it in another way. Also, the project will reduce about 2 million tons of CO2 a year, which is 3% of the Paris Agreement cap of the country. If you consider that in Latin America, reducing one ton of CO2 is about $180 per ton, and the social carbon cost is about $40, and that country has $5 of tax for the CO2, you have the reduction on the GDP invest in terms of just pure social issues will be $35 per ton. And in, in terms of GDP invest in technology will be $180, $175 per ton in reduction of the GDP that need to be invested. So finally, you can calculate the economical incentives to allow this new industry to grow and to start. So right now, what they have is in the first three years, they increased the recycling capabilities from 20,000 tons a year to 45,000 tons a year, because we calculate, I I design with the people, with the association of recycling that were small industry right now, where big industry, the best technologies available, which facility was the most feasible facility in terms of the technical issue, the process lines, but also the environmental issues, the social issues, because it's an industry that needs a lot of human resources. Mm-hmm. In our countries, maybe we cannot pay for a process line that has robots and everything, you know, super automatic. But we have, you have more labor. Mm-hmm. So instead of having maybe a facility with 10 person, you have a facility with 50 people. And in the border area where there is a lot of issues with cartels and all of that, and you have mostly even towns of just women that were left behind by or their men that went to United States to find, you know, the American dream. 
they, they are normally left behind. The guy goes to US and after three months, he has another girl back <laughs> over there. So they stop sending money mm. and they are left behind with children and normally alone. So those facilities has lots of women and we put inside facilities daycares where the children can stay there and are not taken by the cartels for their purpose. So you have all the environmental and social stuff happening in a beautiful way, but all of that finally is translated in GDP that is increased, jobs that are made, reduction CO2, and all of that is money, it's million dollars, billion dollars in this case. Yeah. I present that in a, in a conference last year. I wrote a paper about that in the track of innovative economical models. I think what we need to change is the economical model. Natural resources has an end. We are at the top of it. We don't have more like two or three earths available on natural resources. Since right now, natural resources uh, are not fully available for any of the initiative human can have, I think what we need to start to do is to calculate those issues properly. And then the priority on projects that can have those natural resources and use those natural resources. And that will help to transit to a circular economy and finally to a green economy. Because we need to move from what we have right now. I remember my first two years were really frustrated when those managers and even my father told me that, you know, with this, you won't pay. With birds, you don't pay the supermarket. And I used to say to him, well, dollars are green too. So... Uh, I think that by translating adequately this language, this like science, scientific language, to the language that decision makers know, mm -hmm. understand, and sometimes take into the account, we will be okay. But also, I start with this social stuff. Even at first, for me, it was really difficult in terms of I'm scientist, I'm biochemist. My concentration was in molecular biology. So I, I used to deal with bacteria and virus, virus, not birds, no, nothing, none of that. Okay. So my stuff was like energy, water treatment, water recycling, all of that, because it was related with my biochemist. <laughs> so, so to go and deal with people. <laughs> For someone that used to work alone, <laughs> in oh, the so it was different. And for me, translating it into something that politicians can use, and manager can use and put in their, you know, in their books and their sustainability reports and so on. It's it's good for them and it goes good for the business at the end. I have a question though. Now the situation with coronavirus specifically shows us that short-term thinking is no way to win. I've heard a lot uh, in my corporate career time, whatsoever. The management would say, we're only here for four years. In Ukraine, for example, it's four years term for the local country powers. What, what do you want? Let us take whatever we have to take money and we are done that you know the next portion will start their next cycle how would you explain and what would you suggest in terms of the environmental and social and financial um, incentives if you are in the situation like this if they only care for short-term wins well i've been in that situation a lot I can put all what I do in point number one, number two, and number three, and then see how much time it will take. And in 2018, I always deal with the Ministry of Finance. Mm -hmm. So finance guys talking about money. Not really with the politician guy. I normally give my report and they say blah, 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 blah. So 
in that meeting, I was with the president. He was not interested in what we were doing, really. <laughs> so I told him, you know, at the end of the project, in four years, which is his period, this amount of money, which was like $1.3 billion GDP, which is an increase of this amount. It was like 2.5 percentage point of the GDP for your period. After that, if they continue to do well, in one year, I can give you this, which is like you can go and cut <laughs> ribbon, <laughs> press, and it will have a huge impact because it's a lot of people that is impact in the positive way. Mm -hmm. And then in the second year, I can give you this part of the project. And this is not ribbons, but it will improve the quality of life. So you will be able to give a speech about this issue. And then at the fourth year before the election, we will have this part of the project delivered. So by doing that, like spreading the project in like small, it's easier to manage. They can see other benefits that one cannot see. Maybe that person will be able to introduce someone for the next period, I don't know. But I delivered the project like that. And the other thing I use really is that normally when you include in the first benefits in terms of social issues, women and children, it's better. Normally men don't care much about social issues. Women, yes. So if you do good to children, you will have 50% of the, <laughs> the people that is voting actually. <laughs> looking for you and women always remember when you do good to a child or when you do wrong to a child and that's a long-term memory and that's what i used in that moment but i didn't use that in Ecuador. in Ecuador for was the the poor sector of the economy i used part of the income that wouldn't be arriving to the country in, in order to reduce the electricity bill for poor families and it was a long-term low tariff for them. It lasts until nowadays. It's been like eight years already since this new grid was in place. Just this year, they increased that tariff. And in the structuring, in my country, we had a really a social blast last year. But before that, I designed a green bond, the Green Climate Fund. Yeah, that, that's something I wanted to ask you. Can you give me more details about this green bond? Whose idea was it and what exactly is inside of that? The real life was, I was here at home. It was last year. It was the Latin American Reconstruction Bank and the AIDB that give money to my country in order to develop something. I don't know if you're aware that COP25 were supposed to happen in my country. And in order to be able to show something, those banks give some money in order to have a consultancy and do something. Nobody knew how to do it. So they decided to do something in renewables. The politicians always, when they think in sustainability, they think in a solar panel to see the market in terms of energy. They needed, uh, they want it in renewables. And 60% of the market is medium classes and lower income families that are, are out of the social security policies. They don't receive anything, no money for them, just they need to fight for themselves. And then 60% of that market is also 60% of the households of the country. And I designed some finance instrument that will go from that money that will arrive to the country to the banks as warranties, collateral for credit. So if you receive one, you can have like 10 in terms of loans given. But also, it was really interesting. I had fun doing that. I did revolving credits. So in real terms, I multiply the money like for by 50, what we receive. Yeah, by doing like a really interesting model a finance model well one of the issues was that our institutional framework is not prepared for such stuff 
So I needed to go through some institutions that already exist in the country that were not really the government. So the government, the Ministry of Finance will not be receiving that money. That was one issue. They didn't want that. But finally, they accepted because it was a huge stuff to promote. I need the five finance instruments, like collateral for housing, including solar panels, mm-hmm. improving the um, walls and windows in order to reduce the thermal energy use in winters, and uh, also for small and medium-sized companies, mm-hmm. cooperatives, schools. Also, this one is really interesting because I did part of the money. I used it in collateral for startups so you could develop uh, brokers that will analyze projects and make like uh, portfolios of projects so they would apply to this money to banks as collateral so other investors will be interested in coming and investing in those projects so you can multiply it that's the one i like because it's the long-term stuff you start the development of a finance market for startups and innovation for these specific projects which is really interesting so i delivered my report on april 14 and then i took like two months explaining to the ministry of finance how it will work in terms of First, the environment, mm-hmm. then the people. <laughs> Those people exist really. <laughs> there is people in my country that don't have money to do this. So, and then how it worked in terms of finance, how it was evaluated, how the rate of the loan, the rate of the money that was in, in coming that would enter from the GCF, and then how it will enter to the banks how the banks will be returning the money back and how it will go back because it's it's kind of a soft loan okay it's not really money for free we are ocd we are not a subject of free money mm-hmm. we need to return it so how was the you know the rates for each one of the instruments how was the project finance model mm-hmm. it was really interesting the bond was in September, I remember, when they did all the marketing for it. Mm-hmm. And then the first finance instrument was ready for the market in January this year. So it was really fast. Mm-hmm. In two words, would you explain how does the green bond work exactly? What it is in terms of financial instrument? So you buy a paper, there is a bond with the obligation to use it on a specific project that has to be something that you just named, alternative energy. In, in, in two words, it's a project finance. When you design a project finance, a project finance is what you design when you have, for instance, a facility like, I don't know, a new mining exploitation. And the owners of this mining goes to a bank and then they present the project. And they present like 10 pages with all the aspects of the projects in it, which is permits, the institutional framework, the risk, environmental risk, social risk, finance risk, and then you present it. If it's approved, in terms of when you have a mining exploitation, you will receive the money to do it. And the project itself is the warranty for the loan. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it, this project finance document need to have whatever uh, a finance analyst will need. This is the same. So you need to translate what we were talking before, all the social issues, all the environmental issues, and finally translate into money, are monetized. Mm -hmm. I, I know that normally people have like some issues in terms of translating birds and trees and also it's worse when you say you're translating people lives into money i know it but that's the language in today's world Mm. so if we want to transit from this world where everything can be put in money in dollars 
or in euros <laughs> to a world where a person it's important because it's a person and a bird it's important because it's a bird and it's part of, and we are both part of an environment mm -hmm. we need to start speaking the language that people understand yeah. so what this is is a finance project everything it's monetized and everything is translating finance risk so part of the risk will be social part of the risk will be environment and part, part of the risk will be the economy and finance mm -hmm. and all of that is in one rate and part of the benefit will be the increasing of the human development index of those people those people by this project can change their lives and also you have like 2.5 million tons of co2 reduced so it's a huge environmental impact too but at the end what the banks or every finance institution will see is the rate and the uh, internal return rate for their investment, the equity IRR. Mm -hmm. You seem like a very knowledgeable person in terms of sustainable <laughs> finance. I have a question for you. Where would you say it is wise to invest in? today which sphere which area of economy i was asked the same question last week i don't know why people is asking for that <laughs> you know what i i've been sensing in the market right now what we have is a crisis okay crises are good opportunities <laughs> in real terms what we are seeing is that the market is correcting because in the past what we had is an overpriced for assets in terms of if you see united states part of the effect is the virus the coronavirus pandemic but part of the effect is that you already had an overvaluation of the assets so the market is correcting to the lower price itself market always correct and that uh, phenomenon is not just in the United States. You're having the same phenomena in different parts of the world. And for me, it's the same crisis than 2008 that it's happening. Correction was not made at the point of the crisis, but it's been made all over the years. That's one point. Second point, European Union is, besides giving lots of money for the people, all the industries and banks and everything, is promoting a fund to uh, help circular economy implementation yeah. so what shows you is that the money that will be delivered to the market it's money to save what is sustainable circular economy for politician and bank is kind of recycling <laughs> it's not really circular economy but what one can see is there is a movement one of my professors in the master, I did my master in finance, and my the director of the market was the project that gave the lecture in stock markets. I, I remember asking him a, a question about all this environmental stuff that goes through IFRS, the International Framework Registration System, mm -hmm. and he said, "Well, I don't know, Lorena. People like you that are experts in environment will give us." A number and we will correct the stock market and I said okay and he told me sometimes a company value is better for the investor when the company is dead instead of alive you have gold hard sometimes and as my professor said sometimes you need to be compassionate <laughs> let someone die and at this moment i think that it will be the moment to see what we will be saving at what cost and to let some industry die all what is fossil finally will die anyway <laughs> and right now for instance germany has 50 percent of renewables and costa rica i think it's 80 something percent of renewable models for investment should go through that finance instrument I design. I think that if you have money or if you're an, a good finance person, 
that can understand the social and the environmental risk, start developing portfolios or maybe like investment portfolios or, I don't know, innovative projects or innovative uh, industry or sustainable industry, but investment portfolios and start speaking the language of finance to investors will be a good move in this moment because those investments are really socially sustainable, environmentally sustainable, but also economically sustainable. Triple bottom line, yeah. essentially. Mm. Yeah. So I think it's a good way to go through. Right now, the problem is that normally brokers do not understand the environment and they, they treat the same way what is green, deep green, light green and paint green. So we need to start doing the difference. So if you can calculate and see, well, this environmental risk is one, this one two, this one three, this one four, to make the difference, to, to show them green is different. What I told that person that asked me, I said, well, if you're an investor, start digging in the sustainability report, but not in the part where they say, we gave to, I don't know, libraries, to see what that, are they doing with their energy, with their water, and with their lands. Mm -hmm. And start, in your mind, focusing in those areas that are really the sustainable, the environmental sustainability. And also if they have agreements with their communities. How are the relations with the communities, if they have agreements, if they have policies to help them, etc. Because those companies won't have problems with the community, even if they have problems, really, accidents or whatever. And they won't have problems with the national authorities in terms of the environment. So I think that's the good way to start looking for, as investor, to a more greener world. Mm -hmm. Right. Probably the last question for now. It's very interesting to talk to you. You have mentioned many times during this conversation the issue of language. The environmental or sustainability specialists have to take into account and translate their scientific world into the world of finance and economy. What would be the advice, piece of advice you could give to train that skill? Is this a certain book you would suggest to read or a certain type of education to go through, a course, something that will help sustainability professional to put themselves on the rails of the world out there? You know, first of all, when you come to this earth, Everybody has some skills, and part of the scientist's skills is to question everything and to think alone. So it's very difficult to a scientist to go to the world and speak to normal people, because they normally do not speak to normal people. Okay, mm -hmm. so to lose the, the fear of going to the world is really hard. I normally see that it's easier to have someone that can do that job to go and speak to the world. It's really difficult for a scientist to do that. Mm -hmm. But if they can lose that fear, I remember in 2007 or eight, I gave a class for environmental engineers. It was kind of one of those courses you take on during the summer and it was in green economy. So I explained them how to translate it how to do the translation. Because for scientists, everything is important. And it's really difficult to choose what to take and, and translate everything. It's not feasible. Mm -hmm. I think maybe if you're in the university or whatever, to take a course, a short course during the summer of about something in management will be good. In order to just learn the language that maybe what is an asset, what's a liability, what is what. Mm -hmm. Just to, to speak with other words. Part of what we are is the words we use. Words create reality. 
so to change the words to learn that the best two parts of a report for a decision maker is the introduction one page and the conclusion another page and then the rest of the report won't be ever read by that person so it, that report is important because other people will read it and will explain that to the decision makers. So the conclusion part is really the important part of the report and it's one page and that page needs to have everything mm -hmm. that person can understand and they understand money. They don't understand anything else. Okay. And if you're already in the market and you're already working, you can go and see there is a lot of information today in the internet. So you can go through a general management course. People have different capabilities. Some ones are good in marketing. So you can see green marketing and you will translate whatever you do in terms of green marketing. Mm -hmm. um, other people are good in finance and can go and maybe take a short course in personal finance. And money is money. The point is, normally, I've seen that in the past, people have feelings, different feelings, <laughs> when mm -hmm. it takes to money. When they are talking about money, it's kind of, they feel stuff. I don't feel anything, money is money. Mm -hmm. So, take the emotions aside when you speak about money. It's not really the birds, it's not really the person the people, it's not really a tree, it's not your neighbor, it's not your garden, it's not a park, it's just money. And this part is needed in order to save what can be saved. Sometimes you need to let die some part of what you wanted. Not everything can be saved, not everybody can be saved. And, and for that I think, personal experience helps a lot when you're a child and you see your grandparent die you cannot save them they need to go they need to you know leave you for good i, I give a lecture in a management in a master degree introduction to sustainability Mm -hmm. and i always said to my student that in my mind we were going through a big crisis in the world order, the very same crisis we had between the two big wars. Before 1914, we had empires, kings, and all that. And after 1945, we had democracies, United Nations, 195 countries together. So we will be moving from something that was like, you know, empires and kings to something else, maybe a more sustainable world in the best case scenario. Yeah. Thank you for this wonderful, optimistic <laughs> word and for this conversation. Okay, super. Thank you. Ciao, ciao. I really do hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new from Lorena or even myself today. So if you have any questions, as always, feel free, don't hesitate to let me or, or my guest Lorena know. Please reach out to either of us on LinkedIn, I'm sure it will make our days. I also want to invite you to check other related episodes out. I can't promote this particular episode enough, it's one of the best. Um, it's called Green, Inclusive and Open Economy or Why Sustainability is Not Enough. That was a, an interview with Ralph Term. This episode will help you to get perspective and broader understanding of modern day economy. And to be completely honest with you, we did this recording with Ralph back in February this year. And I revisited it because uh, we came up finally with the text version that you can check on Medium under the same name. So the black blog platform called Medium, you type there Sustainability Explored and you will get all the transcripts um, for, for the episodes we are releasing on, on this podcast. 
So there I leave all the active links and so on. So when I revisited this episode, I had to re-listen to check uh, with the text. It finally opened up for me slightly more. So I really didn't even get uh, the massive message that Ralph had for all of us from the first attempt. So three months later, I understood it a little bit more. That only proves how great of a of a content uh, it was, it is, and what a, a great and brilliant mind Ralph has. Uh, another episode, which is more recent, and I did it with Cleona Howie Del Rio from EIT Climate Kick. So this episode is called Circular Economy Challenges and Systemic Change with Cleona Howie Del Rio from EIT Climate Kick. There we talk about how the economy will change during and after the COVID-19 pandemic. I, I really I really hope, I really think these episodes will get you inspired to take some positive action and to look at things from a slightly different angle. Other than that, and even more related to the, to the subject that we just discussed with Lorena, my first episode that is almost one year old already, God, time flies, uh, on green banking called What is a Green Bank? But don't judge too fast. Again, it was the very first episode, so don't set your expectations too high. It's very short. It doesn't have any fancy music or anything, but I still, I still feel like it was, uh, it was good. So, and I, I would also recommend one more episode. So the fourth episode that I am recommending already related to finance. It's called Impact Investment and Circular Economy with Ron Gonen from Closed Loop Partners. Uh, it's a relatively short one, only 23 minutes, but you'll get all the juice. And finally, if you like the podcast, as always, please do consider subscribing. You will get all the episodes first. They are out every Thursday. Consider sharing, leaving a review and raising on the platform you're listening on. Uh, Sustainability Explored can be found on more than 50 platforms. Just wrap your mind about it, <laughs> around it. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, please rate there. Uh, if you are listening on any, any other platform, I cordially invite you to check our Podchaser page and leave a comment there or review. I reply each and every one personally. The podcast is for its listeners, so by taking your time to leave a review, you help more listeners, more audience to discover it. Thank you again for listening, for being with us today, and until next time, next Thursday, take care, stay tuned, stay healthy, and stay home until the lockdown uh, in your area is over, I hope, very soon. Ciao, ciao!